Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. It is good to see you. Yeah, so I am going to be starting a sermon series this week um, that others will also contribute to called Living in the Emotional Health of Jesus. Um, And so today I'm going to take some time just to sort of set the scene, give an introduction and then talk about uh, one of the foundational things in Jesus's life. And, um, And our hope and our intention with the series is to is to actually help us all to become more like Jesus, because that's our goal, that's our eternal destiny. Actually, according to scripture, is that God has made it from the very beginning that our purpose and our destiny is that we would be exactly like Jesus. So uh, I'm gonna start uh, this message kicking off from Matthew chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to just turn to Matthew 11, 25 to 30. We're gonna read that. Um, Before we do that, I hope you enjoyed the panel Last week, I just want to say a big shout out. Thank you to all those who contributed to the panel and were involved. I think it was, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope you've had a good week of um, encountering God and sharing his love around. Okay, so Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 25 through to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, and just pause there for a minute. These things, I believe, if you're looking from the earlier part of the scripture, it's important that we interpret scripture with scripture, so we look at the context of where it sits, and what Jesus has just been talking about is uh, the the kingdom of God, the inbreaking kingdom of God, John the Baptist coming as a herald of the kingdom, and then the, the people's response or lack of response not being able to see the indwelling or the, in, uh, the breaking in of the kingdom of God and, um, and, and the, you know, as manifested by signs and wonders and miracles. And so I believe that when he's talking about these things, he's talking about the, the, the movement and, the, and the, uh, the presence of the kingdom. Okay, so uh, you have hidden these things, the presence of the kingdom, the inbreaking of the kingdom from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then a famous passage, probably many of us will know this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my burden is So my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just love that passage of scripture. And you know, you might initially think, well, what has that got to do with emotional health? Hopefully we'll get to that and it'll be clear by the end of it. But in this passage, Jesus uses this metaphor, uh, it's an agricultural metaphor actually of a yoke. And what he's talking about there is in the ancient times, and even if you go to develop, developing nations now, you can see that some of the way that the farmers farmed was to take an, a couple of ox, oxen, big cows, and put them together with a, a, a wooden beam or something like that that would yoke them together. And attached to that beam, they would put all the plowing equipment, all the other things, and they would, the, 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 the ox 
would walk up and down the field and plow the field. And so that, that was a, a metaphor uh, then that's used and taken in a number of places in the, old, in the New Testament of, um, of a yoke, which is anything that is in, you're in submission to, in authority, or, or, or in bondage to, okay? So what Jesus is saying, by, by him saying, take my yoke upon me, upon you, it's actually what he's saying is, you may not know this or not, but you have a yoke. You're yoked to something. And what I want to do is I want to take you off that yoke and I want to put you into, I want to invite you to come into my yoke. And so in the, in the New Testament, what we see is that uh, through various passages of scripture, that the yoke is, um, uh, uh, as I said, uh, something where you're in submission to authority and or into bondage. So a common phrase of the time was the yoke of the law, talking about the Mosaic law. The Pharisees would say, have you come under the yoke of the law? Now, of course, what they did is they added other bits to it. They added more rules and they made it more and more difficult and they gave interpretations of it, uh, which no one could really come up with. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew around about 20, verse 20, chapter 23, he says this, you know, that the Pharisees, he's kind of telling the Pharisees off. He's saying, you guys, you take the law and then you add to it and you make heavy burdens and you lay them on the backs of people and you make them work hard, but you yourselves do nothing to lift the burden. Isn't that religion? Religion just tells you what to do, but doesn't help you out. And, uh, and also, you know, when Paul in this pivotal moment in Acts chapter 15, where there's this moment where the church is having a discussion and the Pharisees who've become believers and followers of Jesus, they're saying this, hey, listen, you, the, all the Gentiles must follow, the, follow the, the law. They must fulfill the law. And Paul's saying, well, no, 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 no. You, that, that's, you, if you do that, you haven't understood the gospel. Jesus says, fulfill the law. And he says this, that's a yoke that has been on us and our forefathers and we haven't been able to live it out. We haven't been able to carry that yoke. And, um, and then again in Galatians chapter five, Paul says this, he says, don't come under the yoke of slavery. You've been set free in Jesus. Don't come under the yoke. What is that yoke? Well, that yoke really, I believe, is a belief system. It's a mindset. It's, a, it's something that we've taken on and we've agreed with. You know, all of us have mindsets, right? We all have beliefs, so for many of us, the journey of our lives is to undo the mindsets that we've taken on, which have been based on lies that we've been, that we've been believing. And it's interesting that it's bondage, uh, one lie is enough to keep you and I in bondage. And we've been taking that bondage and, we've, and we've, been, we've been carrying that yoke. So we might feel burdened, we might feel heavy laden, we might feel a sense of we're not good enough or we're not performing well enough or you know, we, we're under financial pressure. Or, you know, there's so many different yokes that we come under. And that, you know, we, our belief system, which is often, as I said, founded on lies that we've believed, and that comes from our culture. Our culture dictates what you should do and what you shouldn't do, who you are and whether you belong or not. Our, our own, uh, the doctrine or the religion, religious beliefs that we've experienced, the doctrine that we've received puts us under a, potentially under a yoke. Our experiences of life, our family upbringing, the things that we've encountered, the, you know, the, the things that we've uh, come to grow as an expectation of when this happens, this will be the outcome. All of that gets formed as, as a belief system, even other people's opinions and expectations. 
So for me, growing up in boarding school in Nigeria and then in England, one of the yokes that I came under was the reality that other people's, my, my own perspective was other people's opinions are more important than mine and what they think of me is more important than anything else. That's a yoke. That's a mindset. That's a sense of bondage. It can also come from personal expectations. It can, you know, that I, I, I want to be successful. I want to succeed. I want to drive hard because then that will make me somebody. Or the yoke could also be demonic oppression, just feeling everything that's going on and feeling under that weight. It might be financial burdens that we experience. It might even be COVID. The mindset and the attitudes around in our culture about COVID is, is for some of us has become a very heavy yoke and a heavy burden of some you know, events. And here's the thing, why is that important? Well, it's important because we behave out of what we believe, right? Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in other words, what we think affects the way that we operate and, and behave, and therefore the yoke that we come under affects how we live our lives. And what it does is it affects our mental and our, and our emotional health. And so the yoke that we experience, well, you know, we, it, it comes with it very often emotions, some negative, some positive, but those emotions are, and, and you know, I think we like to say that our, your emotions are your emotions. They're neither good nor bad. They just are. Emotions are a gift from God. They are uh, given as warning signs, as indicators to tell us what's going on. And one of the journeys of my own life has been to work out what, A, what emotions I'm feeling, and then B, what does it mean, right? Because growing up, I didn't experience, you know, emotions were a bad thing, but the reality is emotions, in a sense, are neither good nor bad. They are what they are. The question is, what's driving that motive, emotion? What's underneath that emotion? Whether it's joy, and we're finding a place of, of joy in something maybe we shouldn't do, and Ash will be talking about that next week. Or maybe there's a sense of peace, but that as an emotion, but that is it pure or not? Or there's, you know, just the, all the negative emotions. You know, I wonder what that red button will do. You've experienced that, right? I mean, I'm sure it's just me. I'm sure it's not you. You're way too holy for this. But, you know, there, there are some things that are like red button topics. You know, Ash will say to me, hey, if I'm in a bad mood, I'm not kind of working through my issues. She'll say something very innocuous like, have you taken out the trash? Of course I've taken out the trash. What do you think I am? Wah! You don't think I can do it? What you know, and I'm like, she goes, whoa, what on earth just happened there? Have you have that red button? No, it's just me, I'm sure. You know, where you have a reaction to something and it's way out of proportion to what just happened. You know, I like to cook. Um, and um, Ash likes, to likes cleanliness. And she knows when I cook, I use every pot and pan and make a massive mess. And so she has a value for cleanliness. And, and so I remember one particular day where I'm cooking and, um, uh, you know, I'm cooking up a storm, literally, as a, you know, and uh, I'm chopping with a knife and I'm chop, 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 do something else, come back, my knife's gone. Where's my knife gone? Where's my knife? And then I see the ashes washing it up. Now, a normal sane person would say this, oh, it's so nice that she's looking, she's taking care of me and, and look, washing up for me and even though I needed it, she probably didn't understand that I wasn't quite ready and that would be good, but did I say that? No, I'm like, I can't believe she's so controlling. <laughs> that woman, you know how it goes, you know how it goes, it's like, my wife, oh, beautiful too. That woman <laughs> that you gave me 
classic Adam and Eve, right? That woman, she's so controlling. I can't believe she doesn't think I can. You know why she did that? She doesn't think I can clean up myself. I don't know why she doesn't think that. History doesn't say anything. But, you know, I don't know why. But she's just so controlling. And all of a sudden, I'm like bristling on the inside, you know, a red button. And she says she feels it automatically, like the, the temperature changes. And it gets rather frosty in the room. And she says, are you okay? I'm like, fine. <laughs> What's happened there? Oh, I had a red button. It's what you might, get called, might call getting triggered. In the moment where there's some unresolved trauma and there's unresolved emotions, and when that button gets pushed, what comes out is, or what comes out is, or I feel ashamed, or what comes out is, I feel rejected, what comes out is, I feel abandoned, or I feel like nothing, or I feel super upset, whatever it might be. There's so many different range of emotions. You know, you're walking along the road and, and, or in church and you, and you see a friend who, and you wave at them and they, they don't wave back because they're busy and they're focused on something else. And you take it as, well, they mustn't like me today. I can't believe it. You know, because we have these buttons if, we, if we're dealing with those issues. And there's a, kind of like, in a sense, a well. And, and the reality for us is it gets, we get unrelational. And so for me, I, don't, I, stop, I stop looking Ash in the eye. And I stop seeing her presence as a sense of joy. And I start thinking about that woman. But we do it with people groups as well, don't we? That group over there, those people there. And we put ourselves out away from each other. You know, and the reality is this, is that for most of us, the emotion isn't the issue. It's the, it's the way that we respond. And therefore, we actually, in our disconnection, end up sinning. Because I don't know if you know this, but treating your wife unkindly is actually called a sin. I had to learn that. Treating other people badly, thanks for the clap, that's good. Uh, people tre treating other people badly, that's a wife, exactly. She's like, preach it, brother, preach it. <laughs> Say it again. Treating people unkindly, the way that we react, the way that we respond in our emotions that creates either a positive connection or mainly a negative connection, a disconnection, is actually sinful. We can get irritable and we can get snappy and we can get grumpy. And here's the thing about all of those things. You don't just pray away grumpiness. You might have a generational curse in your line where you've got grumpiness, which I did, so I prayed that, broke it off. But guess what? I didn't get not grumpy straight away. I had to learn how to not be grumpy. I had to turn my face, I've got like a kind of, a face that frowns that way anyway. You know, like my mouth turns down and so Ash is like, smile. <laughs> Even here, like you're preaching, you're very intense, smile. So we get irritable, we get grumpy, we get much more judgmental, we get, we get inflexible. Have you ever come across somebody that is like, they think you're wrong and so you offer an alternative solution and they're like, no, 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 no. Why? Because they've got triggered. Their emotions are coming out and they become more, you know, more impatient. If we sow into that enough, it actually ruins relationships, but more than that, it affects us in our physical health. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot overcome those things. And here's the thing, we can, it's really important the way that we measure our lives. It's very easy to measure our growth in the Lord and our spirituality by how much we read our Bible and how much we pray 
and how much we witness to people and how much we can prophesy and do all of these amazing things. But this is what the Bible says in what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if you do all of that, but you don't have love, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And so the measure of our maturity as individuals is not our spirituality in that sense. Our measure of maturity is how much do we actually love? How much do we walk in love? How much do we practice love? How much are we able to contain our souls from disconnection because of dealing with the issues of our heart that we can remain in love even when people around us are freaking out? Let's make that measure of love our spirituality. And the thing is, most of those behaviors, we can, we, we'll come back to this in a minute, we can partner with the Holy Spirit, but most of them, you don't just pray away. You can maybe have some ministry that, re- that you receive healing for. So for me, a major hurdle getting through of the Father's love is you know, receiving some healing from some of the abandonment issues that I had experienced. But still, I still then, having got over the hump, have to learn how to live and apply the Father's love to me in that moment, right? And so I think about Jesus. I think about his emotional health. You know, he lived a sinless life. That's what the Bible says. It's not just that he didn't, sin in the sense of he wasn't lustful, he wasn't full of pride, he didn't lie, although none of, he didn't do any of those things. But he didn't sin because he also lived in the Father's love in a way that was healthy and relational and not disconnected from people around him. And so he was able to live in joy. There's a passage, Luke 10, when the disciples, he sends the 72 out and they, they come back and, and it says that Jesus rejoiced. That word in the Hebrew, in the Greek, actually means to spin with excitement and joy. It means to turn around and shout, just like we were doing in our worship just now. It means to zip around. You know that Jesus is not grumpy. In fact, the Bible says that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above everybody else. Do you know that Jesus is the happiest person on the planet? Why are the Christians the most unhappy people on the planet? I don't know. You know, he was joyful. He was able to confront people but not disconnect from a relationship. Listen, if you had to tell your friend, let's say your friend comes up to you and tells you something and you, you say, get behind me, Satan. How many know that that would, well, if that was me, I'd be disconnected from that person for a while. I'd be like, I can't believe that guy. He's operating like Satan. You're out of the circle, buddy. This is the big circle. You're over there. Work your way back in. Jesus, Peter did that to Jesus and Jesus continued to have him part of his team. Another, another thought, you know, there's a, remember that story in, in, in Mark 2 where he's, he's like, he's preaching in his house and it's his house. It's not someone else's house. It's his house. And all of a sudden there's some scratching on the roof and some dust starts to fall and then a ceiling opens up and then there's a massive giant hole that's created in his roof such that someone can be laid down through the roof. Now, If that was me, I'd be like, what are you doing? You just ruined my roof. I can't believe what you've just done. What does Jesus say? I see your faith. That's amazing. Be healed. (laughs) How about this? You know, he goes off, you know, John the Baptist, chopped with his head off, off with his head. He goes off with his disciples for some quiet, peace and quiet, gets in the boat, goes to the other side of the, of the lake, gets to that lake, and there's 5,000 people there waiting for him, plus women and kids. If that was me, I'd be like, oh, go away. You're just so annoying. Just leave me all alone. Just, 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 just get out of here. 
Come on, everybody, this is rubbish. We're gonna go somewhere else. What does Jesus do? It says that he, has compa- he had compassion on them. He healed them and he physically healed them and then he fed them, even though they ruined his plan. He was able to express his need to the Samaritan woman. He cried at his friend's death. He didn't let the opinions of others. You know, can you imagine if Jairus' daughter died and then, and then he says, hey, don't worry, they're only sleeping. She's only sleeping and everyone says, no, she's dead. He goes, oh, really? Oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize. He lived through other people's, emotion, other people's emotions. He didn't stress about finances. If he had to pay a tax bill, he just said, hey, Peter, go down fishing, will you? Catch a fish, there'll be a couple of coins in the mouth for you and me. So this is Jesus. How did he do that? How did he live in that place of peace and, and joy? Well, he knew the Father. Because he says in verse 27, nobody knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son reveals him. Two things there. One is that the, Jesus knew the Father. He was yoked to the Father. Why is Jesus' yoke good? Because Jesus was yoked himself to the Father. He knew who the Father was. He knew that the Father loved him. He knew that the Father just, oh, he was the apple of his Father's eye. He knew that the Father was taking care of him. And so when you know that you're loved, that love becomes a foundation for the rest of your emotions, right? When you know that you're loved, that you know that someone's happy to be with you and therefore you're full of joy. When you know that you're loved, someone's going to take care of your needs, therefore you're going to be full of peace. And so the foundation of Jesus' love, the, 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 the yoke that he's inviting us into is that yoke of the Father's love and the experience. You know that the love of the Father was enough for Jesus to change the world. Knowing who he was, even though other people didn't like him, didn't know him, rejected him, knowing that he was loved by the Father brought him into that joy and experience. And I heard this once before where somebody said that the measure of uh, of joy and peace that you live in is the measure to which you and I understand the Father's love. In other words, if we're not full of joy and we're not full of peace, we don't understand who God is and his love for us. So he, he knew the Father. He was also filled with the Holy Spirit, which is always a good thing because the Holy Spirit empowered him. And so he gives us, Jesus gives us this incredible invitation. In verse 28, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Just notice that word, all. This word, invitation, is for everybody. It's not like that moment where you were invited, where your friends were invited to the party, but you weren't. Everybody gets invited. Everyone receives the invitation. And he says, come to me. Who? Who? Those who labor, those who are heavy laden, those who are burdened, those who are down and struggling with life, those people that are just finding themselves overreacting, those people that are are struggling with the situation and circumstances going around them. The answer isn't just, hey, go and do better. The answer is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And then he says this, He says, you're going to find rest. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to refresh you. I'm going to revive you. Those are other words that you could use to translate for rest. I'm going to give you all that you need. And are you going to find rest? Not just physical rest, because Jesus himself was probably busier than everyone else, but soul rest and emotional rest and quiet on the inside and a place of joy and peace and spiritual rest. And, you know, it's a promise like no other. Every other religion, every other burden, every other thing that we try and do to get rest is actually reliant on you and I. It's reliant on our effort and our ability and therefore there is no rest. But the rest that Jesus gives is rest that's reliant on him. And so it's a beautiful rest. It's wonderful rest. And 
and, and, it, and we get to partner with him. And I love that he says, come to me. And then he describes himself. It's like my favorite description of Jesus where he says this, I am gentle and I am humble of heart. The gent that word gentle means to be humble, to be considerate, to be meek, which is strength under, in, under control. Lowly is undistinguished of no account, pliant, subservient, abject, humble. Why is that important? Because that means, therefore, that Jesus himself doesn't have any ambition for you and I that he's frustrated about. He doesn't have any sense of performance for you and I. He's not like, can you sort your life out, please? You've blown it again. I cannot believe you've blown it again. How long do I have to sort you guys out? You guys are absolute muppets. He's not like, oh, come on, I just told you. I gave you all those instructions and you just didn't do anything with it. Get it. He's not ambitious. He's not angry with us. He's not frustrated with us. He's not annoyed when we miss the mark. He, he's gentle. He's humble. He says, I will absorb your weakness. I will absorb your stress. I will absorb all the challenges that you're facing because I've experienced those myself. I will absorb them and I will love you always, every time, in every dimension of your life. And I'm always with you and I'm always here. And he's manifesting, therefore, the love of God. He's saying, take my yoke upon you. That yoke is you live in the Father's smile. You're the Father's happy thought. When the Father thinks about you, he gets all goosebumped because he loves you so much. And he's always for you and he's always with you and he's never against you. That's the yoke. That's the invitation that Jesus is inviting us into to experience that into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Jesus has a yoke, it's the Father's love, and he's inviting us into it. And so it's, a, it's an invitation, therefore, into relationship. It's, Jesus is saying here that get close enough to me, listen to me, be close to me, hear me, obey me. And how do we do that? Well, we read the word, we, gotta, we wanna love the word, don't we? We wanna be a people that love the spirit and the word. We love the word, we read it, we digest it, but we don't just read it for information. One of the things I love to do is to ask myself this question when I'm reading the word. What does my heart need to know? Is this true of me? And what does my heart need to know? So Psalm, uh, no, John 14 verse one says this. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I have to think to myself, do I take heart? Do I have trouble? Why is my heart troubled? And I realize in that moment that I have an invitation to seek the Holy Spirit, to let the Word of God touch my heart, and then to step in and say, okay, Holy Spirit, as I journal, as I pray, as I read, as I soak, whatever it might be, as I do those disciplines, as I take those moments, Lord, why is my heart troubled? Why am I feeling like when Ash takes the knife, I feel like she's controlling? Why do I disconnect so quickly? What is going on in my life? Where in my belief system is faulty that I need to understand and hear your voice so that I can live more healthily? So we, we read the word, we tune into the Holy Spirit, we, we talk to the Holy Spirit about the issues of our heart. The other thing I wanna encourage you to do is join a connect group or join a, a, a team that has a group of people where you can bond and connect with each other because there's nothing like being in relationship with each other where we actually get to learn how to put what we're learning into, you know, to demonstrate what we're put learning and put it into practice, where we can actually love each other and help each other through. 
Join a connect group, be part of uh, some sort of team where you get to be connected with each other because part of that call of living in the emotional health of Jesus is learning from each other. When Ash and I have been you know, learning through the years of how to live and how to respond and how to parent and how to remain in joy when our, parents, our kids are screaming, we go to other people and say, hey, how do you do it? What does it look like? And so his invitation is to come close to follow Jesus, to serve him, to learn from him. But I want you to just see there that it actually requires our response. He says, come to me, learn, you know, take my yoke, learn from me. That is actually then, therefore, a life of surrendering to Jesus and coming under his lordship and just saying, Lord, I need you. In this moment, I'm not feeling joy. I need your joy. In this moment, I'm not feeling peace. I need your peace. In this moment, I'm not feeling very loving. I need your love and to surrender to him and to partner with him. And here's the, here's the thing. He says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is it easy and light? Because he's showing us who the Father really is. He's showing us the Father's love. But not only that, is he's empowering us by the Spirit. Because the truth is, Jesus hasn't lowered the standard of the law. He's actually raised the standard of the law. Because in Matthew chapter 5, he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there he says, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, even if you look at a woman, in other words, it's gone from the realm of action, adultery, to thought, look, lustfully, then you've committed adultery. He takes it from the realm of action to the realm of thought. In other words, taking it, uh, setting the bar even higher. But he says this. So therefore, he's not saying it's just going to be an easy life. What he's saying is, I am here and I'm willing to help. My yoke is easy because I'm going to help you. And this is the truth and the reality of the gospel. Is God isn't on the outside looking at us saying, hey, give, follow this advice. He's on the inside of us. The truth of the gospel is that when we said yes to Jesus, we were united with Christ. We became one spirit with him and, we, and he now dwells on the inside of us. And so he's not just out there telling us good advice. He's here on the inside, empowering us by the Holy Spirit to do the right thing, to live in the emotional health of Jesus, for the life of Christ to well up on the inside of us. And it's good news that we're one spirit with him and that we're united with him and his life is flowing on the inside of us. And so it's not just that we have to somehow find joy, we can step back into the life of Christ on the inside of us and receive his joy. We can step back in and we can receive his love even in those moments where we're feeling upset and triggered and we wanna lash out, we can step back in because we have the power of the spirit on the inside of us. What does that mean? It means that you and I, we're not victims. We're not victims to what happens around us. We're not victims to the things that other people say. One of the rules in our household is we cannot say, you made me. Because I didn't make you anything. I might have said something that was upsetting to you, but you chose in that moment to respond back in that way. I didn't make you do anything. We're not victims. We're powerful. We have the spirit on the inside of us. We're not stuck in this pattern where we're going to be grumpy or upset or touchy or re feeling rejected or feeling abandoned or feeling whatever. We don't have to live in that realm because we have the power of the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of us because Jesus has brought us in to make us one with him. And therefore, we have the fruit of the Spirit. If you think about the fruit of the Spirit, it's really just living in Jesus' emotions. 
It's living in the goodness of God. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and humility and self-control. All those qualities that you would describe about Jesus, about God himself. And so we get to live the fruit of the Spirit on the inside of us. But Jesus says this, take my yoke. Why does he say take? Because actually what it requires is yours and my deliberate and intentional partnership. It requires me, when I've been triggered, to not just say, oh, I was triggered, it was all Ash's fault, or my kid's fault, or your fault, but to say, Holy Spirit, what's going on? What do I need to know? Where is my heart at? And deal with and heal the issues of my heart so that we can clear the ground for the Holy Spirit to bear more fruit. And we're going to be talking about that over this next few weeks. We're going to be talking about what does it look like to partner with God, to live in greater realms of joy and peace? What does it look like to take on Jesus' yoke? Because what's important for all of us is the measure of love that we live in. How much love do we exude? How well do we love? Jesus loved always, all the time, in every direction, everybody. Do we love like Jesus loved? So I want to invite you to stand, if you would, please. I've obviously focused on maybe a little bit more of the negative emotion. But you know, there's a positive emotion that Jesus also wants to release to us. On Peter, we're filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's the love of the Father that He wants to meet with us and pour out His love and His heart upon us. And so let's take a moment to ask the Lord. Jesus said this in verse 27. He said, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. In John 17, He prays at the end, He says this, I have made your name known to them and I'm gonna continue to make it known. So ask the Father right now. Ask Jesus right now, sorry, I should say. Just say, Jesus, would you show me the Father's love? Would you teach me the Father's love? Would you anchor me in a greater measure in the love of the Father. Just speak that out yourself. Just do some prayer with the Lord. Invite Him. Say, Jesus, I wanna come to You. Help me to take on Your yoke. Help me to enjoy You. Help me to experience more of the Father's love. We got a, a ministry team here and we would love to pray with you. If you're feeling like you be disconnected from that love. You don't know that the Father loves you and that He is for you and that He's looking out for you all the time. And so joy and peace are difficult for you. We wanna invite you to come up because there is a moment that you can have in God where He pours out His liquid golden honey love and brings some transformation and heals some wounds in our hearts. And so in a minute, we're gonna invite you. If you wanna come and just get some prayer, we'll do that. But can I set you some homework? Yes, Murray, you can, good, fantastic. Choose to do it or not, but what I wanna invite you to do this week is to tune into your emotions. Tune into the things that you react to. Tune into the level of peace that you have or don't, that you don't have. Tune into the level of joy that you're experiencing or maybe you don't have and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And do some business with the Lord and say, Lord, what does my heart need to know? 
Can you do that? 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll finish with this. It says this, His divine power has given us all that we need. Everyone say all. All that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. It's another way of Jesus saying, hey, come, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me and I'm going to give you rest. Bless you all. Love you. You're amazing. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.